0: Live from the Great White North, this is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is August 17th, 2021. I'm Braden Dennis, joined by Simon Belanger. We have an earnings episode for you today. We're talking about Canadian companies, U.S. companies. All kinds of different sectors, and it still feels like Christmas. Earnings reports rolling in pretty heavy over last week as well. Um, it is starting to cool off, so um, expect some slowdown in news. But uh, we're here to cover some of the companies that we think are interesting, and we think you guys will as well. Simon, uh, do you want to get right into it? Kick it off with the hot payments company on the TSX, Nouveau.
1: Yeah, Nuve. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about this one, so we'll probably have to get back to it at some point. But uh, they also they released their earnings recently, so it looked pretty good. Um, their total volume, so that's basically like a total transaction volume, a bit like gross transaction volume for Lightspeed, um, just to give some context, which we've talked about recently. So that increased 146% to $21.9 billion from $8.9 billion. Um, The e-commerce represented approximately 84% of total volume. Revenue increased 113% to 178 0.2 million that's up from 83.3 million net income was 38.9 million compared to net income of 14 million uh, last year the adjusted ebitda increased 112% to 79.4 million that's up from 37.4 million the adjusted net income was 64.5 million that's compared to 16 million and net income per diluted share so after obviously share dilution 0.26 compared to 0.15 uh, last year they had Cash of 533.7 million at June as of June 30th, 2021. That's compared to 180.7 million lat. well as of December 31st, 2020. So you see that, that increase already. They were free cash flow positive as well, so $135 million for the quarter versus $20 million last year. Um, I'll be honest, I had not uh, looked into Neuve that much since their IPO, and I was pleasantly surprised just to see those numbers. Obviously, this is not a deep dive. It's just a glance of uh, their earnings release, but I think it will warrant uh, probably a deep dive in the near future. right, yeah, Braden?
0: I think it does. It's been such a successful IPO uh, on the TSX so far. And you know what? They're riding the tailwinds of online gambling. That is the niche that they have seemed to secure really, really well in terms of their customer base. So online gambling is being legalized across much of North America right now, kind of state by state in the U.S. right now a nouveau has been the go-to payment solution for a lot of these companies so they they've cornered that market really well and that has been a big growth driver for them now there is lots of competition in this space as we know but the product as far as i know and the research that i I've, I've done is very compelling and has some nuances that uh, some industries find more advantageous to use their platform. So, honestly, been a great story so far. As people know on this podcast, we do love payments business. Uh, they're really sticky. You know, the secular trend of moving away from cash also helps as well. So, lots going right for this company. I think it does uh, warrant a deep dive, and we've gotten tons of requests on Twitter for it. Now, if you haven't followed us on Twitter already, that is at CDN underscore investing. All right, another really interesting technology name, Unity. Now, Unity is a gaming engine. uh, So it's basically a duopoly with Unity and the Unreal Engine. Uh, So revenue was up 48% and dollar-based net retention was 142%. And they are seeing really strong growth in customers that are paying over $100 million on the platform every year. So that's good to see. And this is a quote here from uh, from management. Unity continues to increase momentum in non-gaming industries. In the second quarter of 2021, Unity added three automotive manufacturers and began to work with consumer product brands, including an eyewear manufacturer and retailer. Unity is getting traction in new markets. Uh, and it goes on and on. The reason that I wanted to pull this away is because As I have mentioned before, the strength of the gaming engine is not just in gaming, and that's really an interesting opportunity and long runway for growth. When I was working as an engineer, I saw people starting to use the gaming engine. Uh, Movies are starting to use the gaming engine instead of uh, traditional CGI. So Very interesting, and they're making tons of acquisitions. They just acquired a company called Pixies. They acquired something called SpeedTree. And they just uh, acquired Parsec as well. And then one more thing from the press release on the Parsec uh, acquisition: this transition is an important, or sorry, this transaction is an important step towards Parsec's and Unity expanded cloud vision. Creators should be able to expect they can work from any location, any device, through powerful tools and seamless cloud infrastructure to deliver real-time 3D experiences. So. The business is tacking on some acquisitions to help bolster uh, the company, which is in the space of being able to provide game developers the ability to create, monetize, and deploy the solution on Unity. So uh, the strategy is coming together.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about Unity. And uh, I've been, you know, you've been definitely a big... uh, big proponent of what they're they're offering and especially their transition outside or not transition but the use outside of what people tend to think is their niche obviously video games so I, I do like that they're they're offering more than just that so um it'll be interesting where they go for me it's still a wait and see because it's still a pretty fresh IPO right six months or so or?
0: yeah it's still a relatively new IPO but but the business is not new it was founded in 2005. And uh, they own more than half the market share of of games that are on the App Store because they came out and uh, were the like the go-to game engine for app developers for video games on the platform. So it's not a new business, but it is a fairly new IPO.
1: No, well, well put. So now we'll go on to a, a good old traditional boring company, one that I'm sure everyone knows, Berkshire Hathaway. They came out with their earnings release, I believe it was on a, what, Friday or Saturday morning, late Friday. It's always like that. They o- they always do it on Saturdays. <laughs> Saturday, that's it. Uh, it's always when people are not paying that much attention. Um, so Warren Buffett and uh, Berkshire, they just kept buying back shares aggressively instead of making sizable acquisitions. The company repurchased a total of $6 billion of its own stock during the second quarter bringing the six-month total to $12.6 billion. Uh, Berkshire, for context, bought a record $24.7 billion of its own stocks last year. They had $57.2 billion in revenue versus $47.6 billion last year. Earnings for railroads, utilities, and energy jumped more than 27% from a year ago. Uh, into period to a total of 2.26 billion so that's important because uh, if you ever look at the earnings when it comes to Berkshire Hathaway you'll see that they're they're a bit out of whack that's because uh, it requires them so gap generally accepted accounting principle it does require them to add their investment gains or losses even though they're only paper gains or losses it requires them to have them on their income statement so it puts them really out of whack depending on how their their investments have done so it's really interesting to look at what their revenues and earnings were excluding those investments really just looking the actual business Um, you have insurance in there as well so anyone looking at their earnings make sure you do that and they do mention it uh, in every earnings report that they have basically saying that the the gap metrics aren't very a good measure of their business. Um, What they did say as well is the COVID-19 pandemic adversely affected nearly all of their operation during 2020 and particular during the second quarter and the effects are still uh, being felt although they're very depending on the business and of course it's still 2021 is turning out to be much better than 2020 for them and as of June 30th 2021 Oh, they had $140 billion in cash versus $135 billion last year. So they still have quite a bit of money on the balance sheet. And the million-dollar question when it comes to Berkshire Hathaway is what will they do next with that uh, money on the balance sheet? Obviously, I think... I'm not surprising anyone in saying that they'll probably buy back some more stock. And uh, who knows if they'll purchase anything. I would be tempted to say that they will likely not unless the valuations come way, way down.
0: Yeah, well said. And it's also 13F season right now, which is, so for those who don't know, 13F is what is a regulatory filing for large fund managers and money managers to post the moves that they've made in the quarter. So I just saw Berkshire's the other day or just very recently, I think it was today. Um, they have been selling pharma and been buying some more <laughs> classic boring businesses and, and furniture company like Restoration Hardware. So they're finding deals in some places. It's just, uh, it's not the typical Thing you'd want to see of of Buffett deploying some of that $140 billion in cash because it sounds like you know that it's the same old story for the last few years, they can't find any good deals. But I don't know, I think they're out there, but uh, it's who am I really to say? I like listening to their calls because you know, not only is Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett just the best guys ever, but they have such a good pulse on the economy, right They have such a wide diversified portfolio of businesses and investments, whether it's railroads, utilities, energy insurance uh, they see so much of the economy, so seeing their comments on, on some of that stuff is is always really interesting, speaking of a business. Disrupted by the economy, which is auto. Auto companies are having a tough time making cars because of chips. So, Magna International, the TSX company, uh, sales did double to nine billion, uh, reflecting global light vehicle production of increase of fifty-eight percent. But keep in mind, this is from a very depressed level of Q two last year. For instance, last quarter they did ten billion sales, like first quarter of twenty twenty-one which is one more 1 billion more than the quarter they just did. So you see that big 58 you see that double of sales from the previous quarter like in the previous year and just know that a lot, things looked a lot different this time last year. So auto uh, when it comes to guidance it's very hurt by the shortage of chips and and it's a very heavily complicated supply chain. Uh, it's all connected. So, if there's a Tier 3 supplier that can't make a small part for a Tier 2 supplier, uh, then the the original manufacturers, the OEMs, they can't make cars. Um, so, I know I'm getting stories of friends who ordered some new truck or whatever it is back in January, and they still don't have it in hand. So, uh, they have guided for continued issues with their supply chain and, and chips. So, uh on the call they go you know what last year is rough and uh this is also looking pretty hard as well so it's an interesting uh problem that they do have however they are a resilient business they are very good at what they do um they manufacture cars they manufacture car parts and uh you know they are leaders in this space and now the new ceo is used to be the chief technology officer so he's steering the business to to where the puck is going, and uh, I think they'll be just fine.
1: Yeah, I don't have anything to add there. You know that space uh, better than I do. Now we'll move on to Coinbase and I'll be talking a bit more about sequential quarters here. Uh, I will be referring to that. So comparing from Q1 of 2021 to Q1 of 2022, the reason why I'm doing this a bit different with Coinbase compared to the other ones is uh, volume with crypto exchanges um, can fluctuate quite a bit. And I think a reflection of what was going on earlier in the year, especially when you're We were seeing all time highs with uh, Bitcoin, for example, and Ethereum. Um, It'll be a better indicator for them compared to what was happening last year, especially since um, there's been a much stronger adoption in the past year as well. So, um, felt like it was better metrics here. Retail monthly transaction users, so MTU grew to 8.8 million. That's up 44% from Q1 of 2021. Trading volume grew to 462 billion versus 335 in q1 assets on the platform of 130 billion versus 223 billion in q1 so we see a decrease here Um, i didn't go through the whole filing but i would assume that's because people are most likely transferring to cold storage for those of you who are not sure what cold storage is, it's essentially outside of an exchange. So your own, you're the own, uh, if you'd like, uh, custodian of your own uh, crypto. That's probably the easiest way I can put it. They had net Simon sorry to, yeah. sorry to
0: interrupt, but I I don't follow the business well. But when I see assets on platform of 180 billion versus 223, does is that also affected by the decrease in the price of the actual coins like Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, there could have been uh yeah an effect there. A lot of people who buy Bitcoin though will just transfer it to cold storage. So I think that's I would assume this is the probably the biggest driver, but of course I'm sure some people bought it high, sold low. Um that would not be the first time, but my guess would be that a lot of people just transferred to to cold storage. That would be the reason. But uh look like I said I just kind of had a High look of their earnings release so it's possible I, i'm a bit off here but that would be my guess uh, net revenue was 2.03 billion versus 1.6 billion in q1 net income of 1.6 billion versus uh, 771 million in q1 10 uh, percent of the top 100 largest hedge funds by reported assets under management have chosen to onboard with Coinbase. So they did mention in their uh, letter presentation, retail provided $1.82 billion in transaction revenue versus $102 million for institutional um that's really important because that's despite the fact that retail volume was only 31 percent and the balance of that was mostly institutional so we can see that retail is much more profitable for coinbase here versus institutional and that's uh, without going to deep dive or anything uh, that to me is a bit of a risk for coinbase because they already charge pretty high fees for retail investors And if we've seen anything with uh, like brokers and so on uh, over the years is there tends to be a race to the bottom when it comes to those type of fees. And I don't see like Coinbase having that much of a moat. And as we go through the years, I can see that profitability going down as you get more competitors. People get more comfortable with other platforms as well. Right now, they're the biggest platform, but um, that's definitely a, a bit of a risk right there.
0: Yeah, you're right. and Good point. Because when you're looking at this business, the obvious comparison are some of these brokerages that we use to buy and sell securities in our investment portfolios. And it has been a complete race to the bottom in the US. And now you're seeing some of that pressure here in Canada as well with the the commission on a trade has become so commoditized. So um, it's a good point to bring up, and and we'll have to keep an eye on on those those fees for the retail customers. All right, moving on. Squarespace. Squarespace is the company that lets non technical people build websites for their company, and uh, total revenue is up thirty one percent to one hundred ninety six million. Total ARR, that annual recurring revs. Was up twenty eight percent year over year, and they're guiding for twenty six percent revenue growth for the entire fiscal. Um, this is from Crunchbase. The founder, because I was I was just curious about who who started this company. It is still run by Anthony Anthony Casalina, who started it. Um, and here's from Crunchbase. Anthony Casalina is the founder and CEO of Squarespace. When he started in it in, in his dorm room. He acted as the sole engineer, designer, and support representative for the entire Squarespace platform, allowing for it to be a stable business from the outset. Now, this is really interesting, and and I wanted to pull this up because there must be so much support requests for a company like this that non-technical people need support when they're building their companies, and to think that he was supporting that entire side of the business is really interesting because that's when he's talking to users and finding out what people really want. And uh, that's why I think, personally, Squarespace is the best product out there. I, I have familiar familiarity with using all of them. So it is a competitive space, but Squarespace is a great product for non-technicals. I have extensive experience working with these website builders, so if you're looking to build one quickly with the most intuitive interface, the shortest learning qu- curve Squarespace is the best from my personal opinion. Their templates out of the box are also the best uh, if you're a restaurant or other SMB, So I I like the business long term. I'm surprised it's not growing faster in this environment if I was completely honest, but it does speak to how much competition there is.
1: Yeah, yeah, well put. I mean, I think uh, I used it a bit when we used to uh, use uh, the old platform for the podcast, right? So it was uh, right. pretty user-friendly, I thought, obviously, without creating the website itself, but um, it'll work well.
0: I, I say to people, I mean, if you can use PowerPoint, you can use Squarespace because it's like drag and drop in terms of images and text and everything. Yet it looks good. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's a
1: good product. So now for the uh, companies, two companies that were really affected by the pandemic in the same space. I'm going to do these two back-to-back. So AMC and Cineplex, obviously Cineplex being our uh, the Canadian counterpart. AMC does also have some theaters in Canada, but uh, not as many as they do in the U.S. So AMC Q2 2021 versus Q2 of 2020, obviously keep in mind. What was going on in Q2 of last year, there was not a lot of people going to theaters, so the revenue was 444 million this year versus 18.9 million last year. Net loss of 344 million versus 561 million last year. Um, they have 1.8 billion in cash versus 308 million last year, and they did raise some capital, which came primarily from stock issuance, which I think was a pretty bit a good call on their part capitalize on that whole uh, meme stock or meme stock as i would say in french Um, (laughs) still a lot of debt on the the balance sheet though at 5.5 billion of debt for in terms of future outlook there was uh, an interesting quote from adam aaron the uh, ceo saying amc's journey through this pandemic is not finished and we are not yet out of the woods however while there are no guaranteed as to what the future will bring in a still infection impacted world, one can look ahead and envision a happy Hollywood ending to this story for AMC. So we'll see if that comes true or not. They're definitely acknowledging that uh, there's going to be a bumpy road ahead. They don't really have any guidance going forward. I think that's smart because we really don't know what's going to happen with the Delta variant or any other variant that we might not be um Uh, we might not know to this point so it'll be kind of interesting just to follow them i I would not touch amc uh, with a 10 foot pole but just i like watching on the sideline and then as a contrast cineplex again q2 of this year versus q2 of last year so 29 million in cash as of june 30th versus 13.8 million last year so not that much cash but again we're talking about a much smaller operation compared to amc 755 million in long-term debt versus 664 last year uh which was all current debt last year so this tells me without going through their their whole financial statements uh, throughout the last year that they they were able to refinance i don't know to what Uh, percentage rate they refinance but because it was current debt last year and now is long-term debt that means they did refinance uh 64.9 million in revenue versus 21.9 million last year and people will actually say oh that that's you know it wasn't that low last year well it was uh just pocket change when it came to the box office revenue uh their revenue was really media and other media i think they have um They have stores on smart TVs that they can, uh, they rent movies and they get cuts out of that. So it was a mix of different things, but uh, clearly uh, food services and box office was extremely low last year. And then uh, lastly, for this year, 103 million net loss versus 98 million last year. So about the same. Uh, You may wonder why. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yes, they had higher revenues, but that also comes with higher expenses, including higher interest expenses that I saw on their earnings statement as well. Um, these are really two challenge companies. They'll be super dependent on what's going on with COVID vaccination rates, all of that stuff, future variants, social distancing in theaters. Um, personally, I'm not very interested in these companies, but it is interesting to see the, the difference between the two and obviously versus last year.
0: So, I could I could rant pretty quick here about AMC because I mean this is a business in absolute structural decline pre-covid. I um, let's have a flashback. Let's go back 2 years. It's 2019. The movie theater business has been in structural decline for a while now already. And then you get hit with this global pandemic where people can't congregate and What does their stock do? Go nothing but absolutely bonkers in an upward direction because of the trading volume from people pumping this thing. And it's still happening. It's still up there. So let me just give you some examples here. AMC trades at 21 times sales today. 21 times sales. And if people who are familiar with what that means is that A business that is like doubling revenue with really high margins and has tons of secular trends, trades at over 20 times sales. Not a movie theater business that was already struggling and has low margins. Um, And so for comparison, Google, maybe the best business on the entire planet, trades at four times sales. This is a complete joke and people who are still in this do not expect anything. Returns moving forward here and if you do get them it's not because of any real proper due diligence um there's just no expected rate of return here only negative um so be careful out there because if you go on a stock picking forum or anything you'll see people pumping amc left right and center
1: yeah and just just to add one last thing, obviously Cineplex is a bit in a different boat, so you'll see that their stock is way, way down from uh, from a year and a half, two years ago, and uh, there hasn't been that much exposure. But you're still dumpster diving. Let's be let's be clear. Um, it probably is a better value play, but I, I would make a bet that, or an argument that it's probably more of a value trap than a value play.
0: Cineplex might be a, a value trap, but. At least there might be some built-up upside uh, because it doesn't trade at 20 times sales for a business that is in complete decline. Um, yeah, I rest my case. Let's talk about a company that is benefiting from this environment, and that is Chegg. Chegg is an $11 billion in market cap company that serves students. They have tools, resources, problem-set solutions for pro- for students, on a subscription basis. So I've used it a couple times in university. It's actually been around since 2005, believe it or not. They had solution sets for textbook questions, which helps students with studying and assignments. And these solution sets are used pretty widely by the engineering students in my circle when I was, when I was there. Because if you're studying and you get stuck, stuck on an exam or on a problem, like while you're studying for an exam, It'll be a similar type engineering problem on the exam, and you're gonna have to know how to do it the next day right so So these are key and if you get stuck on a problem, it's killer you lose you lose so much time and you have to be a machine right You might have six midterms in two weeks, assignments, lab reports, and then how are you gonna fit it all in when there are cheap beers at the campus on thursday right you gotta you gotta be on top of this stuff right, Simon. Uh, So now the business is obviously taking off with remote learning. Um, And if you don't have that one-on-one support from teachers in person or classmates, you need that extra help. So revenues were up 30% year over year to 198.5 million. So they're about to hit 200 million revs. The uh, services business grew 38% to 135 mil, and it makes up about 87% of revs. Uh, net income was $32.8 million, so they, they are profitable from a net income perspective. Um, and this company still is small. And um, I bet you that it's very in pockets of universities and locations that it's big in because it it is probably a grow by word of mouth type business because I have used it and seen it and never seen any paid marketing from them. So I still think they have a long runway with this remote learning environment. I think it's somewhat here to stay, maybe in a hybrid environment, and uh students need more uh support if they're gonna be remote
1: yeah and i I saw somewhere that they said they're trying to also address the issue that multiple students are using the same account, so that is something oh else. I, yeah, but I'm busted, <laughs> yeah, I think there was like six of my friends all on the same Chegg account. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I guess they're they're finding an opportunity there to to probably increase revenue. Um, now on my next name, well helped technology. Um, it's not a company that uh, I follow all that much, but I know that people that listen to this podcast, uh, just how often it's been mentioned. So I know there's a few holders for sure listening to it. They had revenue of $61.8 million during uh, Q2 2021 compared to 10600000 million uh, Q2 2020. That's an increase of 484%, although it was primarily driven by the CRH acquisition, which accounted for revenue of 36.7 million during the quarter. CRH, for context, provides gastroenterology, GI, in, uh, is the short for that. It provides that for uh, the community with innovative products and services. Um, it's a bit of a head scratcher, I'll be honest, to why they purchase that company, because primarily they own clinics, as you'll see a bit later on, and they do also uh, virtual health services. Um, So I'm not sure um, how exactly that fits in. I I know it's health-related. It's just you have a company that's selling, I know, anesthesia products for gastroenterology and other types of products um, with medical clinics, with virtual services. It's a bit of a head-scratcher for me, but uh, I know they were profitable before they were purchased by Well Health. So I guess that's uh, that's a plus there. well-held virtual services increased to 12.5 million in Q2, representing a 432% year-over-year growth as compared to virtual services revenue of 2.3 million in Q2 of last year. The company delivered 559,000 total omni-channel patient visits in Q2 of this year, that's an increase year-over-year of 173%. Inpatient visits accounted for 241,000 uh, during the quarter. That's an increase of 228% compared to last year. On July 15, 2021, they completed its acquisition of MyHealth, a leading primary care, specialty care, telehealth services, and accredited diagnostic health services provider that owns and operates forty-eight. Location across Ontario, and now they are they are now the largest owner operator outpatient medical clinics in Canada with 75 combined clinics. So we're seeing, um, and that's what we had mentioned when we had talked about Well Health is just um, it's primarily a clinic play. Um, you can tell they're trying to diversify. My big thing is there does not seem to be that clear of a vision for them. That's probably my biggest thing. I get you're in healthcare, but Usually, the companies that do best in healthcare will be more targeted in certain type of segment. Uh, but again, looks like a very good uh, quarter overall for them.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this one a few times. They, they're growing pretty quick, uh, and they're making tons of acquisition. They're deploying lots of capital, and the only thing that we have mentioned time and time again is when you are investing in a company, you are taking a leap of faith in the the ability and the execution of management. Now, I have dove deep into the history of the founders of well Health, and they are actively trying to make the company on investor relations seem like this very innovative technology play, when it's really just a buyer and owner of clinics. Now that's fine. That's a legit business and it and it is profitable. But I was telling Simon yesterday, I got an advertisement on my Instagram account for me to basically invest in Well Health stock. Now that is just like ding 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 red flag. Um so I just I can't wrap my head around it. And if the if the business does well and if I'm wrong about it, That's okay. I'm happy to sit on the sidelines here. But when there's smoke, there's fire. And I just, I don't trust what's going on. I don't like what's going on. And uh, so I'll be on the sidelines.
1: Yeah. And just, that's a clear demarcation, right? Right. There's nothing wrong with a company advertising their services or what they offer, their products, but I'm with Braden on that. I really hate when I start seeing ads of a company that's publicly listed and basically doing stock promotion. So I haven't seen any of Wealth Help myself, but I've seen it of other companies and that's always a, a big red flag because why are you spending money on that? You're not helping growing grow your business. You're really just spending money to get people to invest in your stock, and oftentimes there's other motivations for that, with potential lockup periods expiring, and then you know insiders wanting to unload their shares. I'm not saying that's the case with Well Health. I'm just saying that's something that can happen when you can when you see that.
0: When there's smoke, there is fire, and it's given me uh, a sketchy vibe, and it and it always has. It never hasn't. Like, we've been talking about this company for two years. You're going to get the
1: DMs after this, Braden.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. I will. I I know some people that love the company, and that's fine. Keep holding it. You've done well. You've done well. I will never knock that. I straight up, like, I love when our listeners are successful with their investments, but there's some weird thing going on over there, and I don't know what it is. And uh, that's all we can say right now. All right, WSP, the Canadian engineering firm, revenues were up. They reached $2.6 billion, up 19.3, and net revenues were up 16.1% compared to this time last year. They did buy a company called Golder last year, which is an environmental engineering firm. Golder delivered better than anticipated results with double-digit organic growth in the second quarter of 2021. And integration activities are progressing very well. This was a multi-billion dollar acquisition. That's why I continue to bring it up. And Golder, uh, bringing in double-digit organic growth for a large, mature engineering firm is very impressive because this company, WSP, grows very, very slowly organically, but quickly via acquisitions. So it's good to see that some of their acquisitions are actually bringing in organic growth that's when you can find one of these roll-up strategies do really, really well. Uh, financial outlook for 2021 increased with adjusted EBITDA now expected to fall between the range of $1.275 billion and 1.325, which is up from before. So they're guiding for better EBITDA for the rest of the year. This company is executing really, really well. The acquisition strategy is really strong, and you're seeing some organic growth come out of the business, so that's really good to see. I've owned it for a really long time, and I think uh, you know roll-up strategies in professional services work extremely well. And the reason for that, when you're rolling up in a fragmented industry like engineering across the globe, is you can cross-sell various disciplines of expertise. So if you're a soil expert and you need someone to do um, some civil work as well after they do some soil samples. If you now have a firm that does multidisciplinary, you can start cross-selling these professional services. And, and that's what they do, and that's why it's worked so well. Uh, WSP has been a great compounder. All right, guys, that does it for this week. If you haven't checked out Stratosphere, go to getstockmarket.com. We appreciate you guys very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.